0: Hello, I'm Colin Baker, known to my friends as Old Sixie, the Sixth Doctor in that wonderful series, Doctor Who. And I am proud to tell you you are listening to me. (laughs) And also Gallifrey Public Radio. The radio that brings you everything from Doctor Who to Rhino Wants a Wife, which is a book written by Lucy Baker, my daughter. It's a children's book, You can get it from fbspublishing.co.uk and it's about a rhinoceros who is lonely and wants a wife and it's illustrated by my other daughter's boyfriend. And it's a bargain. Buy it!
1: Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up.
0: Welcome to episode 502 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where it's time to spread our wings and fly. We don't have wings yet, but just give us a few minutes in the in the reshapement chamber and bingo. I'm Jay. I'm Julie. I'm Kier.
2: And I'm Haley. This week, it's Running Man Meets Prison Break, as Sixie and Perry try to avoid the Vengeance on Varos.
0: The TARDIS is in need of a rare mineral... One that can uh, best be acquired on the planet Veros during its peak mining era.
3: That period on Veros is tumultuous, as the government controls the workers slash prisoners through harsh laws that apply to everyone from the miners to the governor.
1: Entertainment and subservience are one and the same in the gratuitous televising of all sentencing and executions, interrupted occasionally by mandatory voting polls that could kill said governor.
2: Perry ends up as a hostage, again, while the Doctor has to escape the Punishment Dome, and hopefully foil the plans of the psychotic slug Sill, the Mentor.
1: Don't upset the Galaxian Delegate, please. We need that agreement to sell the Zeiton ore to his
0: company. On the starvation rate he offers us. Who else will buy our only asset? Why not find other mining companies who will refine Zeiton Ore on better terms? Who will pay the seven credits per unit I ask? Why not? A more. Never! The people of
1: Varus have voted to accept Syl's final terms. You as governor must impose their will or suffer death by default. After I extract the truth about this girl...
0: and her companion the doctor. <laughs> So the the first thing that I wanted to to talk about is the the use of the the voting system in this thing. It it takes a little bit to understand what the the consequences and weight of it really is, but this is basically just mob rule disguised as as democracy. Like there's there's no actual like choice here. It's just I don't know. It, it feels like it's one of those things of like you have to pander to the audience. Otherwise, your, your life is forfeit, basically.
1: Kind of. It's such a fascinating balance of like, th- there is a tenuous control at the top that isn't really control. Uh, and then there's the, the discontent from below that has the ability to take out the one at the top but then just gets replaced by whichever one of the twelve was in the room that didn't really want the job and now has to it's this horrible, horrible balance. I wouldn't even call it a pyramid because it's like a table on two legs i don't I don't know what the thing is, but it's fascinating
2: yeah it's it's not even quite mob rule. Because the mob doesn't quite rule. Everyone is controlled by the system that exists. So even those that appear to have power are controlled by the system. The people get to vote. You can't see this, pot listener, but I'm (laughs) quoting fingering vote. But the vote doesn't really matter because you replace the person at the top and that person is forced to do the exact same things as the previous guy because of the system that was created, we don't know how long ago, but some amount of time ago. And everyone else is just locked into the effects of that system existing.
3: And I think the biggest thing that we see, too, is the episode trying to show that they think they have any sort of power in the dynamic between the two who do keep voting. And even they are policing each other. I'll turn you in. Your vote doesn't count. I'm going to go lay down. But if if you go lay down, then how would you vote? Well, you vote for me. You know what? I'm going to vote. And it's like. Always the same over and over. Exactly what you're saying.
1: That's a really cool element. Using those two in the story as well. Um, totally removed from it. They're the they're. I've I've seen them equated to the Greek chorus because they never interact with any other characters. They comment on what's on unha- what's happening live time because they have visibility to what's actually happening in the vast majority of what's being staged, so to speak um and they're not really the voice of the audience because they they are sort of giving some exposition as well it's, it's, it's just a fascinating
0: component to the story i i really did enjoy that and like kind of slowly gaining the uh the history of yeah you know, this was a a prison colony and The people that are in charge were descendant from the guard. So, like, clearly this system was put in place long ago just to keep those who had power in power. And, yeah, I mean, watching the two – kind of watching everything happen and paying attention to every aspect but being so disconnected to it or from it was just frightening. (laughs) And granted, this was back in the 80s, but it feels really timely now too. Mm -hmm. I would say if anything
1: the only two who really had any semblance of of demonstrable power were the two that kind of stayed under the radar Quillam as the as the the chief scientist and the chief officer which was kind of explains why the chief officer was so smug through the whole thing every time things started to get kind of hectic or every time there was a matter of you know something's happening to the governor or or a uh, sill is going off on a rant or what have you he just had this smug mustachioed grin on his face because he knew he was eff- effectively safe through the vast majority of
0: this he was kind of playing mm-hmm. both sides and and really wasn't beholden to anyone it's true i mean he he kind of just he had the governor thinking that he was, you know, a loyal servant of the system, kind of thing, while he was absolutely like trying to get into Sill's pocket. So it's like, I don't care who comes out on top, I'm keeping my spot and the power that I've got. Yeah.
1: Played really, really well too. I think Forbes Collins did a great job oh, yeah. in that role not not putting too much into it, like not trying to mm. to be the primary villain um, or any. Well, you couldn't even really come close to who the primary villain was going to be. <laughs> It's really a no-brainer on this one, but um, but yeah, I, I, was, I was impressed.
3: One of the things that kind of pulled me out of the story a little bit was the unusually high level of violence for a Doctor Who episode. We saw a, a few instances where, one specifically, the Doctor causes two men to fall into acid, and that was very dramatic and a, not over-the-top gory for things well. that we would normally see, but there was more than you've seen in any Doctor Who episode, really. The Doctor wields a gun, rigs up a, a death trap of sorts, killing some people and causing some mayhem around. And and the direct violence that we see, I mean, it's a lot of play acted on the screen when they're doing the trials, but it, it's meant to show literal atoms falling apart within someone's body and if you understand what that means and what they're trying to get at with that science how does that make us feel for a doctor who episode and what does that do for the level of will we see that continuing on was this just this episode and where we've been
1: this was the beginning uh well it wasn't the beginning this was indicative of a trend that the show was starting to get dark Um, we had noticed some signs of this maybe not so much in in displayed violence and, and gore on screen during the Fifth Doctor's era, but the storylines were getting darker in you know, a lot of instances where there was a lot more mortal peril. There are a lot more extras or, or unnamed, uncredited characters being killed in in uh, crossfire and, and shootouts and things like that. And it was starting to, maybe it was something where we're just trying to cater to an audience that's that's getting more action shows and, and this is just what they want and they expect but the pushback from a lot of the critics was that that's not the nature of what this show was really supposed to be about. And it's getting to be too much of a, of a requirement. And that, that acid scene was, was part and parcel of like that. that, Did we really need to see the survivor climbing back out, you know, with third degree burns all over and such. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and even that, uh, the way that whole scene worked out was apparently supposed to be um, done more comedic. Like, I don't know about how you can sort of comedic. How, how do you, you make that it.
3: comedy? Yeah. But Ugh.
1: you could tell in some of the way that uh, that Colin Baker was like moving the stretcher around, oh, 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 you know, and kind of working the thing back and forth um, with mm-hmm. the, the fellow on the other side. But... I think the director's choice. I, I think Ron Jones's choice was to try to convey that the doctor is uh, culpable for some injuries and deaths, and I mean that kind of kind of got hit on a few times in the story, which I think is an is a is a valid component of the of the doctor's um, sort of character representation. You know, the, no one's hands are totally clean. You know, there are times when you know, the, where where the, the unthinkable happens in the circumstances of trying to accomplish something for the greater good or what have you. But it's, this was like blurring the lines between intention and and circumstance. And, and that's...
2: Well, I think you've got a little, there's a little bit of a disconnect between if that's what you want to do, show that the doctor is responsible for these deaths, then you kind of have to have the res- doctor accept the responsibility for that and feel the weight of it and not go like, borderline going whoopsie and dancing off screen you can't have the doctor be responsible for somebody's death and then play it off for a laugh and saunter on to the next yeah, scene.
0: having someone half melted drag someone into a pit of acid and then the doctor being like mm, forgive me if i don't join you and then like you can almost hear the rim shot as he walks ba-da, out ba-da, the door and it's just <laughs> <Pop>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that either either give the the scene the weight that it deserves with, you know, th- with the gruesome effects that just happened and what the doctor must, you know, take account of right there. Or yeah, don't have the guy climb out, let them fall into a pool of water and, you know, really play it up for you know, more slapstick. But it, it trod that weird middle ground that just did not sit well. And I, I felt like, yeah, that was – kind of what happened the whole time where the, the doctor was very much just like, "Eh, some of these people are going to die and I'm okay with that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. When you bookend that with the, with the poison vines rig, that was, Mm -hmm. that was like outright, you know, I'm as Julie, as you said, setting a death trap for them, knowing the intent. And yes, you had to sort of, you had to, uh, to couch those two characters because otherwise, you wouldn't be able to resolve things at the end the way that it did. But it, it was a, an awfully. For it to happen at the doctor's hand, is a, it seemed like a bit much.
3: Yeah. And I feel like there are other instances where the doctor has shown some remorse or dealt with those feelings. And we see that in a lot more modern WHO for sure. But it feels like there were no moments left for that. And. These episodes are long enough. I feel like you can build some of that time in or have a conversation with someone. "Ah, I feel bad about this, but we don't get that.
0: Yeah. I mean, really just give the doctor, I mean, five seconds of just kind of like looking at the pool being like, you know, let him think about what just happened. And that would have that would have completely changed the tone of the scene if you had just given him that five seconds to kind of like look on in horror at what just happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah. T- e- even like a well, and you have the five seconds because you cut the line of him saying, "Oh, excuse me if I don't join <laughs> <your
3: brain>. you." <laughs> yeah. Oh, even a moment of like, and then go on, you know, like right. finger hands over the mouth, and actually taking that moment of just, well, that didn't go as I planned, but I'm still okay, and things need to happen now because this is my story. But yeah, that that's not how that played.
1: Right. The. <sighs> my one of the reasons why I actually really enjoy this story and a lot of elements of this story has to do with our, our our various batty constructs so we've got um a handful of of people in the nefarious roles right you've got um you've got your scientist you've got your chief officer you've got your governor who you start thinking is just uh, he's just gonna be another one of these he's this you know whatever this this figure of authority that we're supposed to we're supposed to loathe and they come around, which is a it's a it's it's a fun flip to watch, and and you actually start to empathize for him. Uh, and then you've got Sill. Sill is just probably, and I'm trying to think back across all the different adversaries that we've had in the classic eras. Sill is on paper there; it is just a straight line. It it, it is just he's um, absolutely driven by nothing but greed. Uh, he's completely amoral. He revels in others' misery and death. Um, you know, dead as death and, and absolutely loves it. But I, I can't get enough of it because the performance is so over the top. That it is, is an absolute direct violation of my standard that says the best villains are the ones that you can understand how they feel they are doing the right thing. That is absolutely absent here and i still
0: love that little slug yeah it, it, he is by far the the highlight of this story no questions
3: I, I don't think that you don't see that he does believe his is correct it's all for him and all for himself <laughs> and that's all that matters i i feel like that's a pretty understandable from his perspective <laughs> like
1: it's, it's just like doing the right thing by me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah, legitimately- he just, The world is a mess and he just needs to rule it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, a great villain is one that you can look at and recognize your own actions in if taken a different route. A fun villain is one that is just so over the top that- you kind of feel the joy that they feel in horrible things. It's almost a, a, a sort of schadenfreude effect of like, yeah. it's like, oh, he, he's really enjoying this. Well, maybe I can enjoy it a little too. Yeah.
3: He gives you the permission to do that. And then an appropriate amount of his weird laugh, like some moments you would have expected they might have added it in and it would have been too much, but the... <laughs> It was perfectly timed, and yeah. you only got it just enough that it made it okay.
1: It's the best. It's absolutely the best. You know, I, every, everything about him. He's just you know, from the from the the screaming out the moment when he thinks he's 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 amassing his power and everything's going to plan, and he calls to his two thugs to to, to water him down and give him a mirror. It's just everything. It's just, all the choices are just fantastic. Um,
3: I, and. He's so real because he also has snacks all the time. Like that's a real thing.
1: Yeah, those little gummy minnows um, that apparently uh, gave him the poops on set.
2: Well, luckily he had a toilet right underneath him.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, in the in the DVD set when they when they released it, I'm sure that it uh, it made it to the because uh, they did this season on a, on a recent Blu-ray set as well. There was an extra with a commentary uh, from Nabil Shaban. Shaban, sorry, and um, he said that the costume it it was originally one piece, and he couldn't move enough in it, so they split it up so that the cowl, all the headpiece, was one prosthetic, just attached to his face and back around the head, so the body could move independently, and it took so much work to do, and and it was a, like – it was July, so it was constantly like the glue was letting go, and they'd have to like fix it between takes and stuff. And I guess at some point, due to whatever circumstance, he had to drive home with some of it still on him, uh, of the headpiece still on him, and he got pulled over on the way home. and Nice. The, uh, and he got to enjoy the look on the officer's face when he had to roll down the window. <sighs> I, That's fantastic. I, just as long as he did the laugh, I guess he probably got out of it. <laughs> but um, so yeah, it's, it's the only. All right, the, the violence being being one. Julie, as you noted, sort of a, a point of contention or a point of discomfort with this particular story. The one of the things that stood out for me, as much as I do love the story, I was having a problem with the fact that it felt like quite a step backwards um, for for women's roles and and strength of character. Uh, even though Nicola Bryant considers this, you know, she, she loves this story in retrospect. This, it just felt like from, from what we had accomplished with Nyssa and Tegan and Romana before that, I felt like that, that this point in the, in the Perry, um, placement and, and the fact that like your Loretta character was nothing there but just, uh, to sort of fall over, uh, uh or whatever his name was, and and there were no women in power within the Verosian government or anything like, anything like that. It just felt like it, like it just rolled everything backwards quite a bit. And I just kept noticing it. Every scene that proceed or that, that follows, like okay, well, all right, I, I we had a chance, nope, we blew it again. Okay, did that stand out with anyone else?
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. And
2: I, it's a thing I kind of noticed that Doctor Who does quite a lot when they bring in what they think is like a very interesting guest character that happens to be a guy. Like the companion becomes just the hostage of the week. And all the interesting plot is either the doctor or whoever the character of the week is. And that's kind of what happened in this story.
1: I I think there could have been a number of instances where Perry could have been a lot more integral to the progression of the story. There, and there was that one little hint where I think at uh, at one point it might have been the governor who referred to – they were like laying out the crimes or something like that and said – and it was all the the problem of this person and her companion, the doctor. Like, oh, OK. <laughs> That's a clever little twist on the line. Work with that. go Go on. Keep going. Keep forward. But they
2: didn't. I, she could have been the one to speak to the people. Like, she even said she wanted to, and the governor was like, no, I must do this.
1: Oh, yeah. It would have been the ramblings of someone whose brain was still scrambled from the transmogrifier. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah
3: but but what sort of ending would that have allowed for her to scoot him off the camera and just say a few words of something that was Hurt. meaningful for the show to wrap on that instead of just letting him be the voice of everything she could have
2: rallied through. the masses and there could have been a popular uprising instead of yeah. a kindly <laughs> dictator at the end of all of this
0: yeah come back in like a doctor or two and now it's a completely like matriarchal society and <laughs> so uh that, uh, it that woman
3: a, finally throws the voting buttons at yeah, the person that she's say, living with and like storms
2: yeah. out it's the end this is it <laughs> etta, i'm done <laughs> etta
1: is the new empress yeah <laughs>
2: Alright, um, so I don't know if anybody else felt this, but as soon as the episode started, this reminded me of an episode of Black Mirror, um, a society where entertainment is being used to, compuls- compulsory entertainment is used to control the masses, and this is in the 80s, but almost kind of um, uh, prophesying the rise of reality TV with people at at home and voting. I don't know if that's something anybody else thought of as they watched this episode.
1: I didn't equate it with Black Mirror, although I absolutely see that. Um th- I was taking it to the uh the Roman Colosseum's and putting on torture and execution displays for for the public and then mm-hmm. it would come down to based on the people would call out to uh, to the emperor or whoever you know, whoever was there, uh, as a as a sort of the, the the leading authority, and they would make the thumbs up thumbs decision down based on what the crowd was was calling for as to whether or not someone lived or died. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, the, the whole idea goes back that far horrifically. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I do
3: think you have seen more modern TV that has run the gamut of either voting by calling in or texting in or even literally survivor type shows where it's people on an island voting each other off right Mm -hmm. so you didn't survive this week you didn't make it and yes the audience being the ones to take all of that in in this case it it does feel more like a black mirror than those because it because of that one step removed. Like, we're watching a show where they're watching something else happening to vote and watching that entire story play out. So to me, I feel like that biking episode, for sure, like, yes. that is what happened, right? They had to bike to earn credits, to then vote, to then watch certain things, and it was the whole dynamic of an entire society built on that. So yeah, to me, this is like a precursor of a Black Mirror, where it's just very simplistic in the yes, no voting and requirements for being there on time, the amount of food they were given, what they were given, and that it was fed out based on those kinds of decisions that were made. So yeah, I can see it.
1: I'm also checking now to see when... Stephen King wrote the short story that was the basis for running man. Cause the running man, which th- this, this whole episode just reminded me so much of in so many ways about the, you know, having to televise you know, someone's escape and it was their sole chance for survival sort of a thing for public entertainment. The film was 1987. And this was this episode or the story we were just watching was 85. Mm-hmm. I want to find out when the story was written.
2: There's, uh, while you're looking that up, there's also like pieces of 1984 in there with the wife, you know, taking her notes on her husband's behavior in the home as well, so that they mm-hmm. can report each other if anybody is not right. complying with the rules.
1: Got it. Okay, so it was first published in 82 as part of a collection of short stories. Okay.
3: I did think when Kier began at some point a statement about the 80s that the 1984 was going to come up. And this is very much like and that has carried on through uh, some societies where you would turn in your neighbor for or you're in within your own home. Right. For Mm -hmm. even more more modern kind of political stuff, too. So not that we discuss a bunch of politics on here, but yeah, it's definitely a theme, a thread, I think we are all humans and the stories repeat themselves. And so it becomes that much more interesting of a commentary of how did they display that story at that time? (coughs) And there's some level of the science fiction because it's another planet, it's another society. They've got these different ways of torturing and forcing that interaction between government, the common folk, and then even at the end, common folk what's left now your tvs are just going to be gray forever <laughs> what are you have to do now
1: i thought it was just, again just a little technical thing but something that really kind of caught my attention was the way both the um, the first half cliffhanger uh, or the primary broadcast uh, broadcast cliffhanger different in australia because they still broke it up into four store uh, four episodes but what we recognize as the cliffhanger where when we think that the doctor has expired because he, his mind had convinced him that he was in a desert, and he drops. Normally, you would have expected it to go to credits, right when he hits the ground, or right when his eyes roll back and close, right? But Ron Jones makes this choice to go back to the control room, and then have this whole moment about how long should I hold, sir? And he's like counting, and it becomes like this, this like behind the lens, this very meta thing where our broadcast doesn't break until their broadcast breaks and all the screens go black and then you take that all the way to the end of the story where the where the last thing you see is just static on the screen and it goes to credits it's just a a, a really cool choice on mm. both sides um yeah just technical aspects of this of the story I particularly like
3: that's what makes me agree even more with Haley's point of Definitely an episode I you would see because of those specific moments, but mm. and <laughs> I will say that moment where the doctor's left and, and down and when you're watching with a, a younger generation it, they look at you like oh, what?
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, it's sold. Yeah,
3: but it's that's real. Let's watch see what happens
2: next. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what are we gonna call this as far as recommendable, rewatchable? What do we think?
2: I I call this both recommendable and rewatchable. I very much enjoyed this episode. You know, wish that Perry had had more to do, um, but overall, it's a pretty strong episode. Yeah, I think, I I don't know yet, but I
3: think that we will see some effect of this, hopefully. It doesn't just go by the wayside, but for future stories, so you would need to know that this happened. I feel like you've got a lot of opportunity with Sill. And whether or not his people come back, I don't know. It's super fun to play with. And I I mean, I would watch it again to see some of those other things that I missed and didn't notice the first time around, maybe in the background or some of the other dichotomy of that power play. And I've seen a lot of cosplay from Syl. So if you skip this, you're (laughs) not going to know and you will be on the outs.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's this is absolutely rewatchable, recommendables as far as I'm concerned. This is this is one of the gems of of uh, Colin Baker's era, uh, as as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I know I still have a special place in my heart for Trial of the Time Lord, but that's a that's a complicated defense. Um, but this one is a it's a tight story. It doesn't have too many extraneous characters. Uh, some get a little more screen time than they absolutely need. But even when you get down to the the guard that the governor is talking to and saying you know I recognize you you know and they have that kind of, it's it's justifiable and and it's just it's it's solid throughout has its problems most classic who does if you scratch at the surface for too long um, but it's it's tight it has one of the best villains in the classics uh, and it's it's a chance to see Colin Baker really shine because he's not only does he get to show some pompous, sexy. There's comedic, sexy. There's there's serious. There's the technical. There's even even down to like the the arguments over in the TARDIS in the in the first moments of the opening episode where you know he's admitting that he broke things and has to look through the manual. It's it's all great stuff.
0: I would have to agree. I think that this is absolutely recommendable. Though I mean. Admittedly, this is not a defense, but it's one of those things where you, it, it is a product of its time. There are going to be some, some rough edges as long as you can remember when this was produced and give it a little bit of grace. You're going to have a great time watching it. Uh, and on that, I mean, yeah, I'm absolutely going to go back and rewatch this again. It's, it, it is absolutely one of my favorite Six Doctor episodes, if for no other reason than just to watch Sill. <laughs> But, I mean, I, I do feel like there, there's some poignant stuff even nowadays that you can watch this and feel the right kind of unsettled, and I think that's important.
1: There has been an interview that has been recently published, uh, in L Magazine. Um, uh, may not be uh, a title that you normally grab off the newsstand, but it's out there digitally. And I highly suggest that you take the opportunity to, uh, to read it through. It's an interview with Shuti Gatwa uh, regarding all of the all the properties and all the material uh, that he's been ap- uh, appearing in lately and how his presence is just growing, growing, growing and starting to sort of take over a lot of the entertainment industry's focus, rightfully so. But there are so many great points of conversation in the interview that I think uh, some of them are, are, um, are, are very poignant. Some of them are very troubling, um, but it's all very much an insight into shooty the way uh, he performs uh, uh, things like how he deals with imposter syndrome how he deals with being a queer Rwandan it's, it's all kinds of aspects of things that that, that it just it, Allow you to understand him so much better and appreciate so much more uh, the successes that he's having right now and the way that he's starting to dominate, um, you know, screen and a large screen, small screen, and everything in between. So, um, it's what had caught my attention initially was a section that had been pulled out where it was some pushback on. The fact that there have been those saying that a lot of recent changes in the casting and decision making about who is in um, the lead roles is box ticking. And he went off about that, actually saying, yes, go ahead and tick the boxes, because if you don't tick the boxes, then you don't have the these people being actually seen and 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 taking these roles and giving the viewers an opportunity to see something that matches what's outside your window um and i I think it's 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 a great read
0: and I, i think it's it's something that needs to be discussed more frequently like this being a it shouldn't be a hot take um and I'm I'm excited to see somebody in the lead role, kind of taking the stance, and hopefully it can kind of help to help to shape some of the the uh, the people behind the screen too.
3: Plus, he's just a delight. I mean, any anything that's going to feature him and talk about his experiences and both on this show and others, and how it's changing, opening doors for him. And others in the industry, outside of it, just seeing that representation, I think it's so important, and and we've talked about that before. So having interviews like this that allow him to open up a little bit, and just let's get to know him before he's on our screens.
1: Oh, and it allows him to do another photo shoot, which is... um, This man is goddamn photogenic, um, and can wear anything in the department store uh, including probably the 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 bags to carry your clothes out with it doesn't matter
3: and some of the photos look like that might have been what he put on <laughs> just saying but but tastefully done so tastefully done tastefully done it's just yeah you just anything everything it's great
1: yeah
0: Well, next time when we come back, we're going to be going back to our Sarah Jane Adventure Rewatch with the Eternity Trap. Ghosts. That's all I got to (laughs) say.
2: Ghosts.
0: Because it's poosky season.
2: (laughs) It's poosky. Poosky ghosts. It's spooky.
0: This has been episode 502 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next time, this is Jay saying, should we come back and do this again next week? Vote yes for another episode. <laughs> and this is Gear
1: saying, In the name of the great video and of Varos, who gave his name to our planet, accept the lives of these humble deviants in the recompense for their sins.
3: This is Julie saying, if I were to go through that green or purple zone and see that big fly, and I know it's my imagination, I am definitely going to conjure up some big fly swatter and just keep on going. <laughs>
2: And this is Haley saying we're gonna have a better, kinder form of government. And don't worry, we got rid of all of that pesky voting.
0: (laughs) We'll see you next time. I'll see.
2: Cheers. Bye.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Wanna keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Jacob Hanson, Gallifrey Public Radio, is copyright 2023. We'll see you next time.